Today's video is brought to you by my latest book, When Religion Kills, a look at how the so-called faithful in many religions advocate murder in the name of their God. Buy it today. Just click on the link in the text portion of this podcast. There's a lot of talk these days about de-radicalization programs of terrorists. I guess one of the big questions is, do they work? Hi, this is Phil Gursky, and you're listening to Quick Hits. We now know a little more about the terrorist attack in Vienna the other night. Young man who was born in North Macedonia, emigrated to Austria as a child, so he was, for all intents and purposes, Austrian. When he was in his teens, he wanted to go join Islamic State or ISIS. He probably came across the radar of Austrian police and or security intelligence services. He was followed, investigated. They picked him up. They charged him. And he was found guilty of wanting to leave the country to join a terrorist group. Uh, he didn't spend a lot of time in prison. He was actually released early. Um, his sentence was cut a little bit short. And interestingly, he participated within the prison system in a so-called de-radicalization program. Now, these are programs that try to talk to, deal with, uh, advise, counsel people who have adopted violent extremist terrorist ideologies to get them to see the error of their ways, to get them to reject these ideologies, and therefore prepare for a life on the outside. So this young man went through the program. He told people that, yes, he had seen the light. He was no longer a supporter of ISIS. He didn't believe in the group's goals. He didn't want to join them. In other words, he didn't want to be a terrorist. So he was arrested and he was let go. And uh, we now know the aftermath of what happened. It turns out that Austria now recognizes, this is from the interior minister, minister Karl Nehammer, who said the attacker had successfully, quote unquote, fooled the programs in order to achieve an early release. The minister went on to say that this case had shown up a fracture in the system and that raids at the young man's home found plentiful evidence of his radical views, including a Facebook post in which he posed with a Kalishnikov and a machete that he would go on to use in the attack, as well as ISIS slogans on the website. The lawyer who represented this young man last year said <clears throat> nobody would have thought him capable of something like this. Huh, interesting, huh? And there's now a huge look about the de-radicalization strategies, programs within the Austrian system. The lawyer said, without wanting to put the blame on someone, if they are the experts, i.e. those that work the de-radicalization program, why didn't they notice anything? This raises a really important question, one that I have been thinking and writing and talking about for going on 20 years now. And that is, is de-radicalization even possible? I think the answer is yes. I think people do and can become de-radicalized. The problem is, how do those who administer the programs know that the person is being sincere, that they're not lying, that they're not saying what the program administrators want to hear, that they're not pulling the wool over people's eyes in order to get out of jail earlier or to get more lenient sentences. Another famous case from little more than a year ago, 
man called Usman Khan, who was incarcerated in the United Kingdom. He also went through a de-radicalization program, and uh, he was in jail for an Al-Qaeda-inspired bombing plot in 2012 and was released in 2018. He was engaged in what the UK calls the Desistance and Disengagement Scheme, as well as a program by Cambridge University's Learning Together program. He was released. He was still monitored by MI5, which is the British Security Service. And they were kind of, you know, seeing if, in fact, he was the real McCoy. Well, on November 29th, so almost a year ago, he murdered the coordinator of the Learning Together program and a volunteer during an event at Fishmongers Hall in London. So we have another case of somebody who claimed or who was assessed to have de-radicalized and went on to kill people. See, see, this is the problem, guys, when it comes to de-radicalization. We get terrorists who have been convicted to open up about their motivations, their beliefs, their identity, and their relationship, often with a psychologist. And then we expect that psychologist to somehow determine if, in fact, these words are true. Are these psychologists trained in deception? More importantly, are these psychologists trained in radicalization, i.e., do they understand the ideology that underpins radicalization to violence? Do they understand the references that these guys make? Do they understand the ideologues that they follow? Do they understand the posts that they've made on Facebook and Twitter and other, and other online media platforms? Maybe they do, maybe they don't. I don't know. In my time in Canada, dealing with prisons officials, all very fine men and women, I found that they did not have a solid grasp of Islamist extremist radicalization, which is why CSIS sent me out to prisons to talk to these people. What to look for, what they're going to say, what it means, what the symbols, what the symbols are, what the images are. In other words, how can a person who is responsible for determining if a person no longer poses a risk to society because of a terrorist extremist ideology that may have been well entrenched for years, if not decades, how do they know they no longer pose a threat if they don't understand the ideology in the first place? Seems to me like a non sequitur. You either do or you don't understand the ideology, which then puts you in a position to make at least a, a scientific or reasoned judgment as to whether somebody has actually decided to no longer follow this ideology. Again, I, I respect what these people are doing. I think they're placed in very difficult circumstances. And there are cases where at least success appears to have been achieved. The infamous, uh, or rather the famous, rather not infamous, the famous Aarhus model in Denmark seems to have done a hell of a good job at determining whether people have, have become de-radicalized and can reintegrate into Danish society. I think Aarhus is the exception. I don't doubt there are other success stories out there and that people truly decide to change their lives and to become more acceptable to normative mainstream society. And that's a really good thing because our other choice is to incarcerate these people forever. And there certainly are those out there who would advocate this. Once a terrorist, always a terrorist, throw away the key, put them on bread and water. Don't let them see the light of day until you carry them out in a, in a, in a six foot coffin, a pine box. I don't happen to be of that notion. I know many people who are. 
But what level of, of failure are we willing to accept? So we have two very high-profile cases in the past year of young men, convicted terrorists, went through prison de-radicalization programs, lied, fooled, pulled the wool over people's eyes, got out and killed people. Is that okay? Because it's such a low percentage? That's a question we have to ask ourselves, right? Because if the only acceptable level of failure is zero, then none of these people will ever get out until they die. But we have to ask ourselves if out of 100 people or 500 people or whatever the number is, one or two or three or 12 are going to reoffend, is that okay? I suppose the same thing goes for, for recidivism and other criminal cases. What do we as citizens accept as a failure rate? It's a conversation we have to start having. We're going to see more cases like this. People who claim to have been de-radicalized, who are lying, who are going to get out and either leave their countries to join a terrorist group or carry out acts of terrorism, as we saw in Vienna and as we saw in London last year. Mark my words, you'll be hearing from me again on this thing. De-radicalization is a fantastic idea, but I have no idea how you measure it and how you determine whether you've actually gotten through to somebody. If anybody else out there has a definitive answer, I'd love to hear from you. Anyhow, that's what I think. Love to hear your opinions on this. Are you involved in de-radicalization strategies? What have your experiences been? Do you have ways of detecting deception, of seeing when people are lying to you? Drop me a line. You can reach me on email, borealisrisk at gmail.com or on Twitter at borealisaves. You can also find me on LinkedIn and on Facebook. If you like the content and want to receive more, go to my website, borealisthreatenedrisk.com. Find the subscribe button, provide me your email address. You'll get a free daily digest every morning, all the blogs, all the podcasts, all the, T the Today in Terrorism series, all the media interviews, first thing, as soon as you wake up. It'll be your daily read on what's happening in the terrorist world. Love to hear from you, including ideas for future podcasts and blogs. We'll talk to you again soon. Until then, stay safe.